Hello, and welcome to today's podcast, Harbor for the Arts, where the performing and creative arts meets lifestyle. I'm your host, opera singer Bree Cooper. If you haven't checked out some of the other episodes of Harbor for the Arts, I invite you to do so right now. You can also follow along with us on Facebook, on Instagram, as well as my personal professional page, which is Brie Cooper Mezzo Soprano on Instagram, as well as TikTok, Brie Cooper Mezzo Soprano. And of course, Facebook, Brie Cooper Mezzo Soprano. So thank you so much for joining us today because today is a very special holiday edition, Christmas Eve edition of our podcast. I'd like to thank Kiana Clothing, who has been one of the biggest supporters of mine. I've always worn their outfits when it comes to my interviews, auditions, or anything where I want to feel kind of extra confident. I just love their outfit. First time I was introduced to Kiana Clothing was when I did a photo shoot for a magazine, and it turned out the stylist had picked out a couple of outfits, and everything that I liked happened to be from this designer. So I thought, who are these people? I love this outfit. I reached out to them and they have not stopped supporting me yet. Um, So I'm really excited to have them as a sponsor for this episode. And thank you so much to my friends at Kiana Clothing. Go check them out. If you're a real curve cutie like myself, they have lots and lots of designs to choose from. Um, I hope you like them as much as I do. Moving on. Um, Today's show, we are going to talk about some of our holiday traditions. Also, I wanted to talk a little bit about what's going on with the ENO, that's the English National Opera. So let's get started with some of the holiday memories, I guess you could say. Sure, most of you out there have some really great holiday tradition that you share either with friends or your family or maybe some special memories. Maybe you wore matching pajamas or watched Hallmark movies. And, um, you know, there's just so many different types of traditions. Well, for me, uh, growing up, what I can remember is just having such a wonderful um, childhood when it came to Christmas time. And my mom, one of the, one of my favorite memories is always at Christmas time, um, my mom would make her special batch of eggnog from scratch. And of course it had a little extra uh, liqueur in it, but she loved to make it because it was my grandmother's recipe and she loved to make it every single Christmas. She would make it. That's just such a special memory for me. My dad would always take us out to get some last minute Christmas gifts on Christmas Eve. And as I get older now, I think, oh, well, he probably did that because my mom was like busy, you know, wrapping gifts or something like that. Because we never, we never left the mall with tons and tons of gifts. We just had a few things and he'd take us out for like hot chocolate. We'd go in a couple stores. We'd pick up a couple of items. Oh no, I know what it was. It was, I would have, we'd pick out my mom's gifts. That's what it was on Christmas Eve. And then we'd go home and we'd wrap them. As well as like, we had these two trees and one tree, which was in the living room. That was always gifts for friends or visitors that came over. We always had something under the tree for them and then also um, gifts for us uh, and my parents. And it was mostly like clothes items and then my parents' gifts were under that tree. And then when we went downstairs to the basement, there was another beautiful tree. It was always a live tree downstairs. 
And um, we'd have tons and tons of presents, just like toys. As we got older, of course, we didn't use that tree as much anymore, but you always got a um, tree for the basement. And that was just kind of our hangout spot. We'd get to be as messy as we wanted, loud as we wanted, play games, toys, anything we wanted, as long as we kept our mess out of the living room area. Because my mom, you know, rest in peace, was very particular about her living room. Like when we came home from school, you could forget it. We had to keep going either all the way upstairs to our bedroom or go to the den. That was it. There was no stopping, (laughs) sitting, anything in the living room. And my dad worked really hard. He was an attorney. Um, He rests in peace. And he just worked really hard to, you know, to support his family, make sure he could give us the best life that, that we could have. Um, which he did a great job. I'm trying to think of some other things at Christmas time. Um, some of my favorite recipes, I think. My mom would make a really good, of course, turkey, but my dad would make these conch fritters. And he, you know, his family's Bahamian. And so at conch fritters and guava duff, and I just. I just always love that at, at Christmas time. Pretty much I've tried to stick to some of those traditions, but I do still love a really full tree. I just love just having lots and lots and lots and lots of gifts under the tree. I think the only the only hard part about that is every year might not be that way. You know, you don't want your child thinking, well, Santa didn't give me enough gifts, so I must have not been good this year. You know, that's the hardest part, I think. Just kind of like any time you are used to having a lot of gifts under the tree, and maybe one year you're struggling a little bit more, so there aren't as many gifts under the tree. And then your kid feels like, oh, I must have not been good. But, you know, there's so many great stores now. If you're one of these people that have kind of struggled with the holidays, maybe maybe this year's a little leaner than it was last year. You know, there's so many great stores these days where you can still have some really nice, nice presents for, for your family, for your kids, um, at a decent price. And you can also start a little earlier, uh, which is a, what a lot of people did this year. This year, for me, I just... I kind of procrastinated, not really procrastinated, I just wasn't in the mood to start really early. Last year, I did it really early, and I was really in the Christmas spirit. I remember going to um, get all these decorations and did all of that stuff, and just felt really kind of cozy Christmas last year. This year, I'm feeling just kind of like, you know, trying to make myself get in the Christmas spirit, which is good. And I just decided to meet myself where I am. So I put up the Christmas tree, the decorations around the house. The other thing is I didn't want my daughter to just not have a nice Christmas. She deserves to have a nice Christmas, you know, and I'm still kind of grieving the loss of my mom who died earlier this year. And this is actually the first Well, Thanksgiving was one of the first holidays without both of them, their birthdays, now Christmas. So I guess I'm feeling a little bit like, I don't know, kind of out of sorts a little bit. Just, I don't know. It's a weird feeling. Um, But I've decided that, you know, I just kind of met myself where I was. It was really hard at first. But for those of you out there who've lost a loved one, you know, you just meet yourself where you are. Just meet yourself where you are. And guess what? If the best you could do <laughs> for your family is put a tree up with a couple of ribbons on it, then that's what it'll be. And then, you know, the cool thing is that you can have the rest of your family kind of, you know, do something different this year. Maybe they help decorate the tree or maybe they help put some stuff up. And it's okay that you might not feel 
in the Christmas spirit or you might feel down or depressed because it is hard um, for a lot of people. But you just try to do the best that you can and you just kind of meet yourself where you are and you just try to be really, really nice to yourself and really explain to people, like, I'm just not in the mood. You don't have to be a Debbie Downer. You don't have to do a trauma dump on them. And that's just kind of what it is this year. And tell me, tell me what you guys are doing. Follow me on my Instagram or follow me on TikTok and just chime into the conversation. Let me know what you're up to this holiday season. As far as TV shows that I'm watching this holiday season, a lot of them aren't really Christmas-based or holiday-based, really. You know, when I was younger, of course, we watched The Grinch, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman. This year, I only watched one holiday movie. I think it was something like Hotel Inn or Holiday, Holiday at the Inn. Something like that. I thought it was a really cute movie. It was a lot of fun. Some of the shows that I've been watching this holiday season, which aren't really Christmas shows, but Riches, it's a great show. If you haven't caught that, I think it's on Prime. Such a good show. Oh my God. If you have not seen that, go see it. And I think what's so different about it is that it really gives you this, um, just kind of this African, UK, Caribbean, people of color vibe, our standards, and just how we embrace a lot of different things. If you haven't seen it, you, you've got to see it. It's a great storyline. The woman who was on Ted Lasso, who played the psychologist, she's in that show. She is no joke. She is a really great actress. So I've watch that entire season as well as uh Wednesday we're kind of in the middle of watching that one I think we've got an episode five of course we have to talk about the Harry and Meghan documentary loved it I really really liked it if you don't know I've been such a fan of Meghan Markle's for I mean for years since her first episode on Suits I will never forget because I was watching it and I was like, who is, who is this actress? I've never even seen her before. And there was just something really different about her, but it definitely like the storyline and of course her acting. And then I think with her character, I remember really identifying with her character because here she is this smart, successful um, paralegal who could not pass the bar. And I don't know if you're like that or if you know of anyone like that, but I have always been a horrible test taker. I mean, I I just I, I just had a hard time. And for me, with being a classical singer, getting out of theory, oh my God, I, I, I was literally just like her. So I really identified with that. And it made me feel like, okay, there are people out here who really do struggle with taking tests, you know, very confident, very smart, all of that. Um, so I really identified with her character. And of course, the show was great anyway. But then, you know, I started following her when she, I remember when she started the the blog, um, the take, which I followed. Um, I really liked, I used to get the newsletters all the time. And then it's just been so interesting to see her whole, um, just kind of her her career as it's gone from um you know being on this show as a supporting character 
to having her blog, which turned out into a really turned into a really great business for her, and then dating Harry and then marrying him, of course. Now the documentary, if you haven't seen it, um, it's it's very interesting, and I think there are a lot of things that I did not know, which was great. First episode, I knew a lot of that, but the second episode, when Doria spoke, I was floored because we have never heard her speak. Now, she had her daughter's back because she did not say anything. She didn't run her mouth. She just supported her daughter. That was it. So um, seeing her and hearing her talk about her experience, and of course hearing Megan talk about her experience, and sometimes like not identifying with being Black, I could totally get that, and I'm not even the same skin color as her. Um, My parents never talked to me about that, and one of the biggest things I remember having such a hard time adjusting to being in this um, show, um, it was Porgy and Bass, it was my first professional job, I was touring, it was my first time around a group of African Americans who had not experienced I guess you could say the same type of upbringing that I had growing up. And I'm not going to say we lived like in Bel Air mansion or anything like that. But um, what I didn't realize at the time is that how I was brought up and especially during the time I was brought up that it was, you know, there, it was a, a very selective group of African-Americans in Washington, D.C. that were, you know, with the the kids my age that went to the same private schools. Uh, we knew the same people. We were in the same organizations. Our parents were part of the Divine Nine, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, my parents just decided not to talk to me about race at all. And it didn't really play a factor until then, or maybe when I went to college and it really, like them not bringing it up actually helped me not put a label on things, if that makes sense. So I had roommates who maybe their parents were, I don't even want to say racist, maybe their parents had stereotypes that were built in from what the news or media or maybe the communities around where they lived made them feel a certain way. Did kind of have to deal with that, but they were just really sweet. Like once they got to know me, they were really, really great. All of my college friends were amazing. And I think maybe being in the School of Music or the Arts, you're kind of used to diversity anyway. Um, but my um, mainstream friends, I call them mainstream friends, but people who were in general education or in the general college, um, you know, majoring in medicine or nursing or something like that, you know, it took a while for them to get to know me, but we all had a really good relationship. It was it was really wonderful, and my friends at college are best friends in the world, but I really understood that part. And I can see how that happens. And then I also understood like how the mom felt because I'm sure raising a child of color, you know, you kind of, I don't know, you kind of have this um, sigh of relief when you don't have to have that conversation with your kid because your kid is fair skinned and they may matriculate into society in a very different way. Now, I have two older sisters that are very fair skinned. 
um, curly hair, but they wear it straight. I mean, you could literally think that they pass. And I understand that too. I understand their experience was very different than mine. Um, and so I really identified with Doria on so many levels. I identified with Megan on so many levels. We both went to all girls schools growing up. I mean, I just really identified with it. I really liked that her friends were, I think it's Abigail Spencer, who I used to watch in suits as well, but she is also amazing. I really liked her um, acting, but I also liked you know, how she was just such a good friend. You know, it just makes you reevaluate, like, what type of friend you are. Um, and I think that was really great. And I just really enjoyed, I enjoyed the entire, the entire documentary. But anyway, on to our next topic, the English National Opera. Now, I don't know how many of you know about what's going on with the English National Opera. I've talked a bit, little bit about it on my TikTok feed, where are they going to be next? Now, the last time I followed up with this was um, maybe last week. The Arts Council in London has basically said, hey, you know, if you want this money, you're going to have to move out of London because they do want arts organizations, and they're not the only one, arts organizations to move outside of London to do more kind of outreach. English National Opera is saying, well, hey, we do that already. We've worked really hard to build our, our base here in London. Um, they do so much work with the hospital, so much work with outreach, as well as having one of the most diverse performing roster, performance rosters, as well as just behind the scenes, administrative, set design, all of that. The House of Parliament had this debate raging about the future of England's um, National Opera House and many other opera houses as well. And that the budget, the funding was going to be slashed, and basically ENO English National Opera was told that they would have to move out of London. It's not every day that this type of discussion pops up. The English National Opera has gained a lot of support. A lot of people want them to stay where they are. They don't want them to move. So when Holly and Phil, who is the um, they're the host of this show over in the UK, and it's kind of like the Today Show, really. Um, so you know when they start covering it, really goes beyond just you know this conversation in the opera circle. Um, so Stuart Murphy, if you don't know, he is the ENO chief executive. He basically told them, you know, the Arts Council announced that it was it was effectively having half of the ENO's annual grant from April and that it wouldn't get any more money at all if it didn't move its headquarters out of London. It also suggested that Manchester Although it didn't consult with the politicians or any cultural organizations there, they said, hey, maybe Manchester will be a great, a great place for you to go. Um, so there are a lot of people that are standing behind the ENO, um, and they're saying basically the ENO must be London based because that's where a lot of the conservatories are, the largest audience. Um, it's one of the greatest and busiest cultural capitals in the world. The Arts Council has a different argument because the Arts Council was told by the government to move some of the funding out of London as part of this leveling up agenda. So it's it's basically said that it simply cannot afford to support the ENO um, if it's if it's based in the capital. 
And that's the, that's the, that's kind of the, the line in the sand that, that they're, they're drawing. I've been reading a lot about what the Arts Council says, and their biggest thing is that they feel that the access to the arts is now changing. Now, if you don't know, I have a TV show called Opera Luscious, and I talked about this on my show probably, oh my gosh, about five years ago when, you know, I made it a point that I felt like, you know, families especially, people who enjoy the arts, you know, it's great that you can trek on over to Broadway or to one of your local opera houses in the inner, in, in the city. But it's also nice if you can get these productions in your own neighborhoods. And, um, I mean, quality productions in your own neighborhood. So, um, yeah, I took a little field trip and I went to one of the regional opera companies that did a performance. They were getting prepared for a performance and it was, it was very, it was lovely. Um, and I would want more of that too, because, you know, it's getting very expensive, um, with inflation, how the economy is going. But once you start bringing the arts into neighborhoods, I think that's where, um, I think that's just as important. So to me, the Arts Council also has a valid point, and I'm hoping that they can come up with an adequate solution um, so that the ENO can can stay in London. If they can't stay in London, then maybe definitely still have a presence there. I think that's just as important. I hope you guys are all having a wonderful Christmas. Um, this is Christmas Eve for me, but uh, I'm sure when you're listening to it, it might be Christmas Day, or maybe it'll be later this week. I'm not sure, but I hope you enjoy the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to check out uh, my my uh, discography on Spotify, Brie Cooper Mezzo-Soprano. You might see Brie Cooper, Cooper, Brie Cooper Anderson or Bridget Cooper Anderson as well on Spotify. Uh, follow us on Instagram, Harbor for the Arts or Brie Cooper Mezzo-Soprano. TikTok, Brie Cooper Mezzo-Soprano. Facebook, Harbor for the Arts or Brie Cooper Mezzo-Soprano. And also go to my website, um, Brie Cooper. Uh, um, please, I'd love to hear from you. I want to hear what some of your holiday traditions are, how you're doing, and uh, thanks so much for joining me.